And so, those of you who have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the knowledge and wisdom of God that is not yet familiar to us and that the Holy Spirit greatly desires to reveal and yearns to reveal to us. Matthew 5.45 and 48 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. And this is a perfection that the Heavenly Father Himself has. When people of the flesh or carnal men begin to think about this, they uh, become disappointed because they look at themselves and they look at God's law and they see it's impossible, that it is impossible. And they immediately see that they are nothing, that they're uh, useless, and to somehow remove this uselessness, they begin to focus on evangelism <clears throat> so that in the sight of God they uh, they can uh, achieve something, as it were, that they will become somehow perfect this way and that this is the righteousness that they're supposed to perform. <clears throat> this is a mistake and it's going to be a very expensive mistake. They will pay then a price of eternity with the devil. Considering that this is a promised commandment and this is the inheritance of the saints of all generations and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge the power of the person sent by God over themselves have no part to the inheritance of this commandment and most likely will never be able to have it because of their position. This is how I understand this. This is not what I agree with. I have my own opinion. And so these people are candidates of hell and are weeds amongst the children of God that have their own personal opinions and understandings of the truth. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant that is in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because the broken tablets are the death of Jesus Christ. The tablets are Christ himself. <clears throat> and so in these broken tablets of the covenant, we receive this righteousness where we die by the law for the law so we can live for the one that died and resurrected. Because in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we die by the law for the law. The law uh, demands revenge and Christ uh, satisfies this and by suing receive confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life the first people lived uh, within the, under the law of condemnation we live 
under the law of righteousness so that we provide God basis to give us the promise of heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4.13 the law of Moses did not yet exist but Abraham received the inheritance of peace because he had faith and of course a very unique faith because the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God which is presented in the preached word of God sent and the person who is a father from God to us in other words God's faith is information that comes from listening to the word of God the words of God's delegated ones our faith <clears throat> is the unquestionable uh, uh, obedience to that word. There's a difference between God's faith and our faith. And so when people don't know this, they will never be able to grow into a full measure of growth in Christ. They will never be able to have within their heart the kingdom of heaven. They, were, they will never have in themselves the Holy Spirit, although they will be speaking in tongues, because baptism of speaking in tongues and receiving the individual Holy Spirit himself are two different things. Eleazar, symbol of the Holy Spirit, came to Mesopotamia. He gave gifts to all, and Rebecca and her mother and brothers and all receive uh, precious and silver gifts. He is there for a very short time. They receive him as a precious uh, guest. Uh, my dear guest, please come in. Why do you stand at the gate? <coughs> and so they, they invite him in. They give him food. <coughs> they will wash his feet and so forth. And they offered food. But he said, no, I will not eat until I uh, tell you why I came. And he said, speak, we will listen. And then he told them that he came for Rebecca. They said, we'll listen to what she says, how she responds. Call Rebecca. They called her. And by custom, when a, a guest came, the young women did not uh, was not present or the, uh, the sons either when they were not present. And Rebecca, she was still young and she did not sit at the table. She, did, uh, she was able to serve, however. They called her and asked her, Do, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. They began to uh, plead with him to stay longer. And he said, I, I need to go back. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not just give gifts. That's not his goal. His goal is to take the bride and bring her to the groom. And for this, uh, the bride is already prepared. And how was she prepared? Not by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. She was ready. <clears throat> uh, how was she ready, this bride, so that the Holy Spirit would take her and bring her to the groom? She, it's written, she needed to ha be a virgin from the line of Abraham. A virgin. This is talking about purity, that her heart was cleansed from dead works by the blood of the Lamb. This is a symbol. Secondly, she needed to correctly look at the law, and the law would not be, a, then, uh, be condemning her, but be a friend to her. In his mind, he says, that young woman that will come to draw water, and I will ask of her, give me water, and she will say, drink, 
Master, I will also give water to your camels. She is the one that you have prepared for the son of my master. And she said, drink, master. I will also give water to your camels. And she began to draw ten camels, a symbol of holiness, symbol of the law. To satisfy this devouring holiness of God, she was able to. She drew until these animals of the desert uh, quenched their thirst. They, they walked the wilderness. They and so they don't drink this entire time and after that they can drink up to two buckets of water uh, and the ten needed this amount of water and so she drew this water the fact that she received gifts the others also received the gifts but she was not focused upon these gifts uh, or make them significant in any case she was interested in something very different getting to know God uh, and so knowledge about God remained and this young woman somehow was able to understand that this is the Lord that prepared this way for her not knowing her groom being the beauty in that time many uh, <coughs> wealthy men were interested in her uh, that were in their area but she chooses a person that she does not see none of us have seen Christ or his face what kind of face he has what kind of appearance he has what character but by his spirit we begin by his Holy Spirit we begin to understand how he is and we are ready although there are a lot of offering uh, of those who offer from the world that that tell you you have so many gifts you have a great voice you have other uh, talents there are many people who have left the church uh, because they had great voices and became uh, famous uh, as we know uh, Elvis Presley he did go to church and he was a person who was Christian but he uh, unfortunately ended his life as a uh, one who uh, took drugs and and died early in life and so our faith needs to be obedient to God's faith God's faith is information that comes from listening not from what we read but what we hear this is information my faith is obedience to that information God's faith is information that comes from above, from God, and is spoken by His people. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which He sends us His word that is spoken by the mouth of His delegated ones. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. It is by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of man evidence of the fact that we are children of God, that we are the children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace abiding within the covenant of peace is the treasury of our hope in God, containing the bond of all of the promises of God, <coughs> 
And the achievement of these is the goal of the given to us righteousness. It is the righteousness of faith uh, that allows us to enter into God's promises. Abraham believed in these promises that God had promised him. And because of this faith, he accounts it to him as righteousness. Faith is accounted as righteousness. So we understand what true righteousness is. It's obedience to the word that we hear. When you hear this word and you agree with this word, your agreeance to it, your consent to it, it talks about the fact that you're righteous because the unrighteous will say, no, I, they say, no, until I feel it, I won't believe. One time I was uh, preaching about not having anything but possessing everything. One of the people uh, that at the time really loved me but then performed division in the church and became very resistant of the truth. Uh, he was not able to agree that it wasn't him that was to be pastor. He said, you're such a wise man. How can you say such a thing? You know, when I will uh, feel something in my pocket and I will feel that it's there, then I'll say I, can, I, I have it. But if it's not there, how can I say that I have it? I, at the time, had stated uh, that the church that is we're in right now, at the time the church we were in, was to be ours. And I proclaimed that from the stage. We needed to purchase a house of prayer church. We absolutely had no money at the time. But... I said, let us uh, let us uh, state this, and I said that <clears throat> faith has money, and that is what God had put into my heart at the time, that thought into my heart, I didn't do this from myself, and when I was preaching, I received inside of myself the word, uh, announce this from the stage, this house of prayer you're in, it shall be your own, and that is what I confessed, what was in my heart. And, of course, the body uh, will state, well, what are you saying? You have no money. You just look like a foolish. And many of the people said that I was very foolish because we had absolutely no money. Exactly nine months later, we entered back into this, into this church, into that building as owners of that church. God, <clears throat> in a supernatural way, had... Uh, had had done this for us and others wanted to come and see us uh, for uh, because they understood and they uh, found out about the things that had happened and so the building was being sold for a million but they gave it to us for $500,000 and so others who wanted to uh, purchase it I would come and ask for 50000 less, and they would purchase it for $950,000. Uh, and the owner at the time was not agreeing to sell it for that amount. But they sold it to us for half the price. And so when I came to purchase this house of prayer, that house of prayer, we came in, and there was a group of people in the kitchen, and there was a committee, the pastor, the committee was there, and I said that we would like to purchase this church. And they, at the time, were smoking. These people allowed themselves to drink and smoke, but they did not understand that it was wrong. 
and they tell me, Pastor, pray. And I thought in myself, okay. I told the translator and told uh, to translate, and I said, Heavenly Father, I began to pray. I heard a noise of the wind, and I felt the presence of the Lord. I did not become afraid. I was surprised, and I said, Lord, what are you doing? They're smoking. How is it that you came here? I continued to pray. It was a short prayer. I said, Amen. I opened my eyes. And all, all were crying. And I saw tears. They said, Speak. And I said, We can't give you a million. I have 500,000. We gathered that money. <coughs> we had asked everyone who can bring to gather, and it was a great miracle. And I told them, we will give, I don't have 500 right now. We have 250. We'll give you 250 right now. And then the, the rest within three years. And if I will not pay you out, pay the rest of it within the next three years, 250,000, then I lose the 250 I gave you. And they said, let us talk together. They left and they came back and, and they smi smiling said, Pastor, we agree. And so imagine, for 50,000 less, they did not want to agree for it with other buyers that had come, but they gave it to us for half the price. God changes the person. God changes the situation. God can change any person to benefit you if if it is necessary. And this happens upon the condition when, uh, where the Spirit of God is, of course, the presence of the Spirit of God. We need to understand those things. The faith of God is the revelation of God that comes into the heart by listening to the Word of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace, abiding within the covenant of peace, can and is called to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. The peace of God that is able to guard our minds in Christ Jesus is the mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spiritually minded is when a person thinks about the things above, but carnal mind is how to become rich, how to heal, how to call people to salvation, and so forth. These are this is the carnal mind, because the spiritual mind is a mind when a person is thinking about the things from a, of a, that are above, about heavenly things, how to save himself and how to erect within his body the stronghold of life, how to destroy the stronghold of death so you can erect the stronghold of life because if you overcome the whole or take over the whole world, bring the whole world to the Lord, but lose your soul, there is no benefit in that. There's no good. You will still go to hell.
And so the peace of God that is able to guard our minds in Christ Jesus is the mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind. According to the given place, we conclude that people that refuse the condition where the truth of the uh, of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind. And so people who refuse the condition where the truth of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no part to the peace of God and are not able to have it. They do not know even what the atmosphere of peace is, what characteristics it has, and what purpose he's supposed to fulfill, uh, what price needs to be paid, and the price is the obedience of our faith to God's faith. We need to apprehend well that only collaborating our spirit with our renewed mind that is in, that is within Christ Jesus, we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Relevant to this, we stop to look at the fourth question, by what signs do we examine ourselves, that we are the sons of peace and therefore are the sons of God. Because it is only by the rule of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. Only when a person is a peacemaker, he is a peacemaker because he has peace. If he does not, if he has this peace, he's a peacemaker. This peace is not able to be disturbed in any way, whether you lose something or obtain something, what illness you may have, what trials you may be overcoming, what whoever you may lose, this peace is not able to be disturbed or, or interrupted. And so if there is such peace, then you are peacemakers. If a person has not died for his nation, the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification that he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee, this justification will never turn into the quality and format of righteousness, where he would receive the ability to be clothed into the inheritance of the peace of God in order to bear within his righteousness the fruits of peace, which is why the crown of righteousness of such people will be taken from them, giving them the right to the promise of peace in which they are able to be called sons of God. The crown of righteousness is the fruit of righteousness. This is the fruit of the mouth that glorifies God, the faith of the heart. If you have the faith of the heart, you have righteousness. That means you have the crown. And the scriptures say, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Confess only what is within your heart. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God obtains its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith and the covenant of peace, which portions responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side then is responsible to fulfill their role in the role that is implemented by God in the written word of the covenant of peace. And if one of the sides breaks the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, and we note that only the only one that can do this is man, 
then the other participant of this covenant, being God, is then free from the responsibility of fulfilling his part of the agreement that is made in the covenant of peace. The fruit of righteousness is identified within our heart as the peace of God, and it is evidence that we are the sons of peace, and this serves as a legitimate basis for God to fulfill his part of the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his Son, so that we can share with him the achievement of all that is written about him in the laws, prophets, and the Psalms. <clears throat> this means that we need to share with him the erection of the stronghold of life within our body. For this very reason he came to redeem our body. The justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has changed into the quality and format of righteousness, where we receive the ability to bear fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12:14. We note that in the given situation, this place is referring to a unique and unearthly peace that is to be done by God only within the, within the boundaries of holiness and be an expression and demonstration of His holiness, whose boundaries are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God within our heart. <clears throat> If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. And so, this command here states that it is not possible to have peace with all men. Therefore, peace that we, are that we dare to or have the audacity to demonstrate using the ideas of our own mind out of the boundaries of holiness and not as a demonstration of holiness will be incriminated as a heavy form of lawlessness for which we will be then required to pay a price of eternal life, because the fellowship or communication that we have with people that the scriptures ascribe to corrupt company, we don't ascribe them to corrupt company often, but the scriptures do, but if they drink even a little bit, if you are friends with those who do drink, it's not important how much, then you are supporting him in that behavior. And so if we communicate with such people that scripture ascribed to corrupt company, they will perverse our corrupt and good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the wicked and the lawless that support the wicked, who in their time had received the truth but afterwards abandoned their church and returned or turned away from the given to them holy commandments. The very fact of their rebellion and their hatred of the word given by the delegated people of God that are placed over them testify of the fact that they have lost the peace of God and uh, members them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. I say 57, 20 through 21. In a specific format, we already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God the selective that is the holy love of God every time when you say God's love always add holy 
which is selective because holy is selective God loves one and hates the other God loves only his own the stranger he doesn't only his own I trust that you love your children also although you like the neighbor's children in a time of hunger you're not going to be giving bread uh, the last bread to those children but your own first and when you buy something that is expensive you give it to your children and not to the neighbor's children the Lord behaves uh, even more like this uh, he absolutely gives nothing else but on, n- nothing to anyone else but only to his children but you say well the world uses all his goods but this is for the sake of his children and so his children are in the world and so he allows them the rest of the people to use the goods of the world because his children are in this world But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God the holy love of God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. Christ, in Ephesians it's written, He loved only His church. He didn't love the world. He loved His church that is in this world. God loved the the church and gave himself for her, washing her with pure water so she be pure and undefiled before him in love. The Heavenly Father has loved his church in this world, for God so loved everyone who believes in this world that everyone who believes in this world would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the correct version of that place, John 3.16. <coughs> Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with the fullness of the peace of God and make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in seven unchanging virtues or elements by the preached word of the apostles and the prophets. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. Each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contain the characteristics of the rest of the qualities. They flow one from the other. They complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Here we're talking about everything that's in our heart, not just on paper. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. 
The fourth given quality are the imperishable treasures and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. And so when these are in our heart, the Holy Spirit then has the ability to take these words of ours, because we proclaim them, and clothe us into those words. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. Not baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit Himself as the Lord and Master of our life. Those have received Him as a guest, as we talked about but we need to receive him as our master and follow him, leave our nation, the house of our father, and our corrupt desires, which is what Rebecca did. The means that we are to use for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruit of our spirit, we become part of God's divine nature, upon the condition, of course, that they're in the heart. <clears throat> Since virtue and the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism is greedy and is just temporary. Specifically, the fruits of the selective love of God containing the format of the seven unchanging qualities listed previously, this fruit is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ within our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ, that is, into our new person. The element of virtue in the selective love of God has no comparison to the tolerant love of man, since the quality of the selective love of God are eternally existing qualities. These qualities are the qualities of our Heavenly Father, and his all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God because God is love or more accurately he is a holy love separated from all that man calls love and such an inaccessible for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in scripture as the bond of all perfection which indicates the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God first over the rest of his perfections identified as his goodness but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. And to be clothed into this love, it is necessary by confessing our faith. <clears throat> the love of God is the foundation and the atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. <clears throat> And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, these seven characteristics that together identify within our heart the goodness of God in the perfection of a selective love, we have already looked at six qualities, therefore we'll immediately turn our attention to the seventh. This is demonstrating the love of God agape and brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. 
<clears throat> In Scripture, the love of God agape as the virtue of God coming from brotherly kindness is contrary to evil that comes from hatred of the fallen angels and men that are within the power of these fallen spirits. Therefore, in the Holy Scriptures, the degree of the power of the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness and reveals itself in brotherly kindness, is determined and exclusively is known by the degree of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and evildoers who do this evil. And, of course, then the level of and degree of love that he has for the righteous. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 Considering the fact that evil demonstrating itself in man in hatred that comes from jealousy and arrogance of man and good that demonstrates itself in in man in love that comes from brotherly kindness are programs. Therefore, to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is only possible in its carriers, which are their programmable systems. <clears throat> As it is written, the Lord tests the righteous so he can make him a carrier of his love, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Not God is not tolerant, as you can see here. He does not love these wicked. He will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5 through 7. And there are a lot of places of scripture like this. Relevant to this, as in the previous elements, the virtue of God and his unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in seven elements, we need to answer four classical questions. What do the scriptures say about the genesis and natural essence of the virtue of the fruit of virtue that reveals itself in the heart of man, in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose does the fruit of virtue have dem have demonstrated in our faith and the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness. What conditions do we need to fulfill in order to demonstrate the fruit of virtue and the love of God agape in your faith coming from brotherly kindness? And by what signs do we examine ourselves that we are truly demonstrating the fruit of virtue and the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness? Therefore, in order to understand within ourselves the natural essence of the love of God that comes from brotherly kindness, it is necessary for us to remember what and who God loves and what and who God hates. Relevant to this, we already studied seven elements called to take part in the pour out of the love of God into our heart, studying who God loves and have studied seven elements of who God hates. There's, of course, more than seven of them, but as seven is the number of perfection, we have just decided to take the seven and have been studying the signs that identify the genesis of the natural essence of the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith. Speaking of the genesis of brotherly kindness, from which the selective of love the selective love of God agape flows, we in a specific format already looked at the essence of the first sign. We've concluded that the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness, within the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns, is the goodness of the Heavenly Father and is and is with uh, within our heart hope that can never be disappointed. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Romans 5.5, 5. it was poured out 
in the preached word. Second, the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness within the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns, pours out from the substituting sacrifice of Christ for his church. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, Ephesians 5, 25-27. The Son of God loved the church, that is only those people whom God foreknew and predestined, so that they can be conformed to the image of His Son, and gave Himself for her in order to redeem her from sin and death, and erect within her mortal body the stronghold of life, called to transform her mortal and cor- or carnal body into a heavenly body. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He foreknew us before the creation of the world. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, those he also justified, whom he justified, those he also glorified. Romans 8, 29, 30. Therefore, we determine the presence of the love of God within our heart by the assurance or confidence of in yourself, the foreknowing of God in your heart, which reveals itself within our heart in the revelation of eternal life. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, that He might, that we might live through Him. First John 4, 9. If we have such life in ourselves, then we know that the love of God in His seed, in the form of His seed, is within us. Therefore, the selective love of God, the Father, containing the eternal life of God, is revealed and poured out into our heart by Jesus Christ, by whom God has opened access to himself for all nations, including the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel and the others, we have access to the Father in one spirit, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. The love of God that is revealed in the substituting death of the Son of God for the foreknown by him descendants has reconciled and and reunited him by the blood of of the cross of Christ, those things that are of the earth and those things that that are of heaven and by him to reconcile things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of, of his cross Colossians 1.20 from our side demonstrating virtue in our faith is the, in the selective love of God in which the peace of God reigns this is everything we do in words or in action do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ thanking God the Father in his name and whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, Colossians 3.17. If you want to do something, uh, when you want to drink a glass of wine, can you do this in the name of Jesus Christ and thank God in His name? If you dare uh, to do this, then I'm afraid something terrible could happen to you. If you will take a glass of wine and will begin to pray and thank God for that glass. Identifying the given signs of the love of God within our heart, we conclude that when obeying the truth, we will allow ourselves to be sanctified, being washed with water by the means of the preached to us word. Our hearts will become a spring from which the selective love of God will pour and be discovered. 
Third, the selective love of God which comes from brotherly kindness within the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns is not poured out in some kind of drunk-like atmosphere of feelings, but in the anointed power of the Holy Spirit who forms the atmosphere of the selective love of God as well as the feeling of this love. And this feelings may be present or not. They don't, they don't, uh, they're not always required to be. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 If a person is a man or a woman, he puts on clothing that is, uh, that is revealing, is not appropriate, that that means then he has never had God's love because the love of, of God will never allow him to um, allow his, the areas of his body to show so that you then be an attraction to men or women. The category of infants in Christ do due to their immaturity demonstrated in ignorance where she like the flesh category of men is attracted by various winds of, doc of doctrine is not yet able to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of her life although she is baptized by the Holy Spirit therefore does not have the ability to possess a spirit that does not have fear and be a carrier of the power love and a sound mind consequently does not have the ability to possess the peace of God and confront the fear of man in order to know the power of the selective love of God that drives drives away demonic fear and with a sound mind follow the Holy Spirit in the land of righteousness your spirit is good lead me in the land of uprightness Psalm 143:10. I don't think making yourself nude or showing your uh, revealing yourself <clears throat> that the Lord will lead you to the land of uprightness <clears throat> According to the identification of the given sign of the love of God within our heart, we conclude that the love of God is poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit in the preached word of the truth and is not something sensed in a drunk-like drunk atmosphere of feeling or senses, but in the anointed power of the Holy Spirit, which forms the atmosphere of the selective love of God as well as the feeling of this love. Fourth, the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness within the atmosphere of of which the peace of God reigns is poured into our heart by listening to the preached word of God that is sent by that is sent by God through his delegated ones for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us second Corinthians 120 this godly principle is first found in the book of Job and if we reject it and begin to seek God and his promises independent of acknowledging over ourselves the authority of the word of the person we will inherit then destruction and our heart will never become a place that will contain the promises of God. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and seals their destruction their instruction in order to turn men from his deeds and conceal pride from man he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword man is also chastened with the pain of his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food his flesh wastes away from sight and his bones suck out stuck out which once were not seen Yes, his soul draws near to the pit and his life to the ex executioners. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show him his uprightness. 
This is a person who is a delegated person from God to show him his uprightness. Then he is gracious for, to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I found a ransom, his flesh. And so these are the people that they forgive the sins of and retain the sins. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the day of his youth. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at man and says, I have sinned, and I perverted what was right, and it did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Job 33:14-28 This uprightness, which is the direct path of the love of God to the heart of man, has always highlighted and regarded the sovereign right of a man with respect to receive or to reject the given instruction of God where he pours out his love into the heart of a man by his word that is being brought by another person. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107, 19, When God sends his word, and he sends it by his carrier, one who is able to be a carrier of his word, his truth. The Word of God is the informational program of God that can reveal itself and demonstrate itself exclusively by the programmable system of God, which is the wise heart of a man revealing itself in the wise tongue of man. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. Isaiah 39, 8. If King Hezekiah would not have acknowledged the authority of the word of prophet Isaiah over himself, God would never have sent his prophet to deliver Hezekiah from his deadly illness. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Psalm 119:65. David is speaking about the words that God sent him by the prophet of his time, and if David would not have acknowledged the godly principle where God gives his good to man, only when this person acknowledges over himself the authority of the word of another person, he would never have been been able to be the man after God's own heart. If Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, would not have obeyed the word of the servant of prophet Elisha, he would never have received healing from the illness that he had. If the widow from Zarephath of Sidon would not have obeyed the word of prophet Elijah, she would never have been able to be saved from hunger by the remaining in her vessel oil and small amount of flour in her pot that would only make about one small bread. If Barak, the son of Abinoam, would not have obeyed the word of the Lord from the mouth of Deborah, the judge of Israel, God would not have had the grounds to save Israel from Sisera, the commander of the army of the Canaan king, Jabin. According to the identification of the sign of the love of God within our heart, we conclude that the love of God is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit by listening to the preached word of truth. These are the words of the delegated of God that are clothed into the power of, of fathers from God. Fifth, the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness within the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns, is poured into our heart in the church that possesses the virtue of the narrow gate or the good wife. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 
In Scripture, finding the narrow gate is directly linked to finding the good wife, which is a church where the saints, because of their wisdom and and vigilance in prayer, have a fervent and unconstrained love for one another, where they are considerate of one another and bear the burden of one the other. They have the ability to forgive one another as God has forgiven them in Jesus Christ. If we by seeking will not discover and will not find such narrow gates in the form of a good wife that is in accordance to the demands of brotherly kindness, God will not have any grounds to pour out His love out into our heart and furthermore we will not have the ability to test our heart to determine whether the love of God agape is there. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all these things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 17? There's not always a time where we could serve one another uh, fervently or with gifts that we have. It goes without saying that these words of warning and wisdom are fairly familiar to us commandments of God necessary for finding the narrow gate. And this warning is addressed practically to all generations of the nation of God until the very end. I would like for these words to first find their addressee, that is in the saints, from whom depend specific aspects of service to God, to minister to one another with that gift that we have received as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. First, even looking at the surface of these commandments makes us aware of the fact that all events in the world and all things that we start or all of the acts that we perform on the earth as it is for us also the end is near. That is the harvest or judgment which will be either punishment or a reward. Second, the Holy Spirit by Apostle Peter again and again underlines the primary importance of the primary and first commandment to have a fervent love with which we are called to minister to one another with those gifts that we have received by the manifold grace of God. Third, in order to practice fervent love in doing so and in doing so obtain favor as God's judgment, we are given instructions of how we need to be, how we need to pray, who we need to love and how we need to love, and also who we need to hate and how we need to hate. First, end of all, or judgment of all, which is near, the primary task, having a fervent love, and wisdom and vigilance in prayer. We need to note that the result of a good end of all of our beginnings demonstrated in vigilance and prayer, a fervent love for one another, and also receiving the reward for faithfulness of a satisfied debt, will completely depend from our wisdom. The fact that the end of time is near and the end of all of our beginning or that all events and things in the world, God has given a specific span of time, the scripture repeatedly states this truth and long before even the following place. 
to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, Ecclesiastes 3.1. And if we do not adjust to the normality of time that is given to us by God to fulfill our calling, we should not be expecting then a reward but a loss of what we thought to have. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given that is wisdom and from him who does not have even what he has will what he wills to have will be taken away Luke 19.26 we don't need to of course panic and worry about this about how late we may be in achieving our calling in order to adjust ourselves into the time that is given for us for all of our good beginnings it is just necessary to have wisdom with which we are able to have vigilance and prayer and demonstrate a fervent love toward one another ministering to one another with the gift that God has given to us in other words it is necessary to not be afraid of the end but joyfully wait and bring any of your good beginnings to completion and if it comes to pass that the day will truly come to a finish the finishable of our good beginnings then let it be known to us if we will have wisdom then for the absolute completion of all good beginnings that we have we will like Joshua realize the necessity by the power of God to either turn back the sun of our time or stop it so we can finish that good work but if we will not be wise do not study and do not focus upon the interests of God that are in the seasons of times or signs of the times or pay attention to what and how we are to work in this time but pursue only our interests and seek only personal benefit in all of our relationships with God and with each other we are already condemned and our destruction does not sleep be careful to seek in your relationship with one another personal benefits try to give in your relationship something not find uh, ways of taking and the question of the verdict of judgment and it being fulfilled is only a question of the end of the time so let us look at and pay attention to what Apostle Peter meant or what thought he had, the meaning he had of what he meant in being wise from which will depend our ability to be vigilant in prayer and our ability to have and practice fervent love with one another. And that is placed as a foundation and head of all our spiritual building and the accomplishment of our calling it is the bond of all of the perfections of virtue, which is why Apostle Peter, talking about the love of God, said, but above all these things have love, for love covers a multitude of sins. But above all means first use your wisdom to have this fervent love with one another. It's as a player as trying to... Uh, kick his ball into the goalie. Don't miss uh, miss it. You need to grab it. As soon as you miss it, it will become a illness in your heart and it will destroy you. In other words, specifically the measure of your wisdom will depend on then also your wisdom to the gospel or our ability to every day uh, strive to enter through the narrow gate because every day to strive through the narrow gate is every day have a fervent love for one another 
Then one said to Jesus, Lord, are there a few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. It's talking about the many saved. Uh, called that they will seek to enter but not be able to then once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and begin and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying lord lord open for us and he will answer and say to you i do not know you where are you from then you will begin to say how do you not know us we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets but he will say I tell you I do not know you where are you from depart from me all you workers of iniquity there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God and indeed there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last last Luke 13:23-30 The word strive through is to put forth all your effort and fight attempt to enter in In the original strive through to enter is with the help of the narrow gate by the means of this narrow gate by the means of a specific act by the means of separating the spirit from the soul, by the means of a relationship of love with one another, by the means of a true uh, effort that you put forth in with the Holy Spirit, and by the means of the completion that you have and your perseverance in Christ. And so when it says, when, as it says, it says in the scriptures, when the master will rise up, means that he will, as the master of the house, will begin to awaken. And so when it says, you need to be wise, this is a commandment. And we need, this will depend on our obedience to the gospel and will depend on our salvation also. And so to be wise or not be wise depends on us ourselves or our decision and our will to either choose life or death, good and evil, obedience or disobedience. We need to consider that God will never be able to uh, command a person to do something he cannot do. In other words, we're offered the choice of wisdom or foolishness. If a person will not strive or will not put forth his effort to receive and to utilize the mind of Christ, which in our spirit is wisdom, then foolish then replaces that that place and he then will perceive that as wisdom to be wise is to have a sober or renewed mind <clears throat> and this is to possess the ability to differentiate the pure from impure and holy from impure uh, from unholy this also means to differentiate the signs of the time to be withheld and to be proper to have wisdom in the heart is one of the identifications of wisdom and having righteousness. And so a person that possesses wisdom is a person that possesses righteousness or a person that performs righteousness by the way of being vigilant in prayer. To be vigilant in prayer is to be sober, to be awakened, and to be withheld. We can't be vigilant in prayer or be within our prayer sober and awaken, awakened and withheld if we will not be wise, even if we can pray 24 hours a day. 
And so together, wisdom and vigilance in prayer allows us, gives us the ability to rule over our emotions and lead them after ourselves, and as a result, then serve one another with the gifts that God has given to us. And such a unity of these two qualities is the result of our decision. Speaking of prayer, we need to always remember and always keep in mind that there are two uh, types of prayer and they depend from one another and they uh, satisfy one the other. This is a form of uh, the state of prayer and practicing prayer. And if one of these, due to our ignorance or not paying attention in some way, will be uh, ignored, then the other will also not be uh, legit. And so if you have the state of prayer, uh, but you will not practice prayer, then you, of course, will not be able to uh, achieve anything. Uh, so Peter, talking about wisdom and vigilance in prayer, he's talking about the state of prayer, not practicing of prayer. First is not to practice prayer, but having the state of prayer. Not having a faithful state in prayer <clears throat> turns our uh, practicing of prayer into sin. The state is the atmosphere that identifies a, a cleansed altar. This is the interest of the will of God that where our prayer needs to be. <clears throat> our heart needs to be built into an altar because uh, the state of prayer identifies our inner motives or the, uh, sac the altar for the sacrifice. Practicing prayer identifies our offering itself. And so that's why, according to Scripture, the offering is sanctified by the cleansed and sanctified altar. And if our altar is sanctified, then it represents our prayer state and everything pure that touches this altar is then sanctified. Any prayer will be sanctified, will be responded by God. And, but if the opposite, if an altar is not sanctified, then it doesn't matter what you offer upon this unclean altar. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Considering that when there's an altar that is sanctified and you bring your prayers, then the fire comes down from heaven. And so there are those who think that the altar can burn without, without an offering, then this, such a revelation can only come from the devil. I, I recently heard a person speaking about as if they had a vision that the altar was burning and, and there was a great fire. And it became very, and it was very strong, and then theirs was very small. And suddenly theirs became very strong and ours started uh, dimming. And so they don't understand that the fire is the Holy Spirit, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. So these individuals that were speaking of these things. And so there's no offering. A person sees a vision. There's two altars and there's no offerings upon them. And they don't even know that this fire is the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit comes down not upon the wood, but upon the offering that is upon this wood. And when he came down, 
he, he burns eternally. Upon the bronze altar, the other one offering replaces the next offering, and wood is added, and the fire that's on it is God's fire. And so if you don't have the state of prayer, then it doesn't matter how much, what kind of correct words you will use in prayer, because these correct words will pursue unfaithful motives. The seal of the beast upon the forehead and the right hand is no different than the seal of God upon the forehead of the saints. In order to lead people to deception and to subject people to himself, the devil changes the outward format of service so it doesn't look any different than that of God. But the inner motives are different. Everything that the devil needs to do is how uh, more beautifully to uh, present, uh, perf uh, make people perform prayer as it is and add miracles and signs. And so that's why millions of deceived Christians are marching under the banners of hell, although they are, they think that they're marching under the banners of light and they think that they're marching to heaven when they're actually marching to hell because they have placed for themselves uh, the priority of practicing prayer and pay attention, they're paying attention to the form of prayer and they don't pay attention to the actual essence of prayer and how to correctly structure it and that it has to have the proper motives, not their own inner concealed motives that they are trying to pursue. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. Proverbs 19.8. Our time is up. Right now we will bend our knees and our heads and we will pray. And all those who are bound by any kind of sin, because sin is such a chain that the devil has his prey upon and so he and so a person uh, sometimes is convinced that he can be free of the sin at any time he chooses but this is not the case all the time we need to acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord to free us acknowledge that you hate the sins that you are committing that you love God you want to be freed from these sins and that's when freedom will come let us pray and may the Lord bless us. We wait here for you at the altar.
I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He is for you. He's not against you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He does not want to judge you for the committed sin. You've already condemned yourself and you have judged yourself, but he wants to comfort you. He wants to destroy these shackles of sin and he wants to restore your, his relationship with you. Cl- close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God, a sign that you're ready uh, and that they're without doubt and without wrath. You've forgiven those who have offended you as the Lord has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. You see my wounds inflicted by sin. I hate these lusts that destroy me. I am tired from this battle. I am not able to overcome them. I pray, forgive me, wash me, and destroy the shackles of these lusts. Give me your freedom that is in Jesus Christ by the blood of the covenant. I love you, but I cannot do anything with myself without your help. I reject my sins. I want to serve you. I want to restore my covenant with you. I believe in your words, that they are unchanging, that you love me, and that's why I am here. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May upon you the blessing of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you and be upon your children and the nation shall say Amen Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen Regardless of what we may feel, God is faithful to His words. What you've received, the freedom and forgiveness, is information. It's not what you feel, it's what you know. People that base things upon their feelings, whether God forgave them or not to determine this, may sense much euphoria, but once they go out of the doors of the church, sin will say, well, hello, 
and they will not be able to get anywhere. But when you receive this as information, then you will behave according to this, the information you have. If he approaches you, you will know, you will respond in the name of Jesus Christ, be away from me, I am redeemed. Although the emotion will tell you the opposite, but you will tell it the opposite. And the confession of the faith of your heart, which you've received, God will take this and will free you. Remember that any promise of God and freedom is spoken by your mouth. You receive this promise, you confess it with your mouth, God takes those words and clothes you into them. Our service is over. Let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.